0: Before we get started in this episode, I just want to apologize for an error that occurred in an earlier version of this episode. In that earlier version, I incorrectly referred to a meeting that occurred between Hayden Richardson, Erica Carter, and Mike Poliski. that was incorrect. There was in fact a meeting between Hayden Richardson, Antoinette White, and Mike Polisky, and that is what I had meant to refer to. I apologize for the error. We have worked to correct it in the podcast. And again, um, apologies to Erica Carter, Antoinette White, and anyone else who felt that they were misled by this earlier version.
1: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe, and I'm Eric Skouspastel. Guys, we got a really, really important episode. I think tonight um, we have got uh, Ella Brockway and Leah Asimikopoulos, uh from Northwestern uh, Student Journalism. Uh, Ella, formerly of the Daily Northwestern, and Leah with Inside NU. Um, We're having them on tonight to talk about uh, the hiring of Mike Poliski. Very charged uh, situation going on there. It's hard to couch it any other way. It's uh, very diverse, very divisive. um, And I think we're going to get into that with them uh, here in just a sec. But uh, very, very fortunate to have them uh, jumping on with us tonight. And uh, I think without any further ado, uh, let's go to them now. Well, we are thrilled to be joined tonight uh, by Leah Asimakopoulos and Ella Brockway uh, from Northwestern. Uh, Leah, you were the uh, editor-in-chief of uh, Inside and you, Ella, you uh, wrote for the Daily Northwestern uh, sports editor, I believe. You, you both had phenomenal careers uh, at Northwestern. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we jumped on. Uh, both absolutely thrilled for uh, your next steps. Uh, Leah, you're heading to Pittsburgh. Ella, you're going to uh, Washington. Um, congratulations f- to both of you for for that. Um, uh, we got a lot of talk to talk about, but uh, Leah, can you just run us through uh, where you've been and where you're going with the sure everything?
2: Yeah. So. Um- I am in my junior year at Northwestern, so I've got a little more time here on campus than Ella does, but uh, studying journalism and, as you mentioned, been involved with Inside and Use, so was editor-in-chief for the past year and just stepped down, I guess, in a month ago in April. So, um, yeah, moving forward, uh, as you've said, working for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette this summer and then hoping to do a little bit more of this stuff for the rest of my life. So, yeah.
1: And Ella, William R. Reed Award winner, we've had you on before. Thanks so much for coming back. Um, Washington Post, that's awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for for having me back, guys. Yeah, um, I've worked for the – or I spent the majority of – or pretty much all of my time here at Northwestern working in some capacity for the daily uh, sports desk. So I've been sports editor twice. I was the game day editor like overseeing football coverage in the fall, this past fall, and um, yeah, now I'm heading to uh, heading to DC this summer to do a sports editing internship at the Post. So uh, very excited for that, and grateful for the uh, the experiences I've had at Northwestern so far.
1: It's awesome. Um, well, we we wanted to have you on. Obviously, the, the big story uh, for you know, anyone who's listening you know, knows Mike Poliski was named uh, the new athletic director for Northwestern. Um, with him came a lot. Uh, it, to, to call this decision a charged decision would be to uh, undersell it completely. Um, with the the different lawsuits that he's been involved with, um, some really messy situations, and you know, it, it's like it, it seems to us. You know, we've been talking about this you know, pretty much nonstop uh, since the announcement, but. It seems like this could not have been handled worse.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, I, and, and I think we were, we were just trying to unpack this all. And I think a lot of people are kind of in this place that what, like, first of all, like, what the heck is going on here? And second, I think this feeling of uh, how did we get here? And within that within that framework, I guess you know Ella. I, I guess you know you could start here, and and I guess before we get in though, we should mention for anyone who hasn't, Leah, you wrote an unbelievable op-ed piece this week on Inside Nu. Um, if anyone's listening, you haven't read you haven't read this yet. Hit pause, go read it. Come back. Um, it's an amazing op-ed, um, and I think reading all this and trying to figure out okay, how do we get here? Um, we were thinking about the, the search process and obviously you're both on campus, you both have, you know, proximity to everything that's going on here and I guess I guess I would say Ella, what to what extent was your understanding of the timeline from the moment the search committee was formed to where we got here and and when when did you become aware of, of different candidates and when did you get the feeling that it was going to be Poliski
3: yeah, I mean, I think that stretches all the way back to, you know, the announcement in December. I guess that would have been when, uh, you know, it became official that Jim Phillips was heading to the ACC. And I think the the search committee process or the opening of the search process was announced a little bit after that. But to be completely honest, it's been a very, very quiet, uh, specifically on the the search for the athletic department or the athletic the new athletic director front it's been a very it was a very quiet you know January through last week um I think that you know there had been I think it was a Yahoo story that came out that was the first to kind of report the uh the potential candidates that named you know the candidates from California Berkeley and Washington State and uh, I think UNLV was the other one and then a, a number of internal candidates who were possibilities but you know, until that story came out, which I want to say was around, you know, late March or April, sometime in the the early spring, it had really been radio silence uh, in terms of everything I'd been hearing in terms of, or regarding the hiring for the athletic director position. And, you know, it was only last week, I guess that was uh, maybe Friday at this point, um, when that first Shannon Ryan story dropped in the Tribune that, um, you know, we were starting to, I was starting to hear like I don't know, uh, more concrete rumors that, you know, Polisky was a, was a front runner candidate among some of these other names. And, but I guess that's a very long winded way of saying that this search process was very quiet, at least from the perspective that I was getting on campus until about last week.
4: Uh, One of the things that they talked about, right, when they announced the search committee and, and the planning that it was, they put together a really diverse search committee. It included, even athletes like Lindsey Pulliam um, was part of it. I, and it, it feels like there's commentary now. And I think Leah, you, you referred to some of this in, in your op-ed too, that parts of the committee maybe didn't get, maybe the committee was divided and, um, and maybe they, they didn't adhere to the the transparency that, that, that was promised, et cetera. Do we know that for certain from other committee members or, or is that something that we're all kind of just inferring at this stage?
2: I think a lot of it's been speculated, but I do think that um, when Shannon reported, I think that she kind of made mention to it. I I think that it's fair to assume that there was some disagreement among the committee, and I think if you look at the backgrounds of the committee members, it's very understandable why there would be disagreement, having college athletes kind of put against board of trustee members, not mm-hmm. to say that they're not all qualified. I, I understand why they tried to make such a well-rounded and diverse committee. And I, I think we all, when we saw that list come out, were very pleased to see that these were such, these are leaders at our school. These are people who have such an important stake in our community and people who we want to be a part of this decision-making process. But at the same time, you know, I think a board of trustee member at this school generally has some more authority than a student athlete or a coach. And I, I, could see i'm not i can't say that i i wasn't in these meetings i don't know but i think it would make sense that it kind of those dynamics played out among these meetings and some people's opinions were maybe heard a little louder than others Mm -hmm.
1: to me though if you're going to have a search committee and you're going to actually take the time and effort to to include voices beyond just the board uh you know you're expanding those voices How how are you not listening to the, and and maybe, again, we don't know what was being said in that search committee, but like, how how do you not take everyone at kind of an evil, uh, even level uh, playing field?
2: I think that's where it gets tough. And I think a reason why they tried to form this committee too, is to not only have these individual people's perspectives represented, but those people are kind of representing a larger portion of the community. So, you know, someone like Lindsay is representing the student athlete voice. There are certain professors that are representing the faculty voice, because at the end of the day, this decision impacts a lot more people involved and is really going to impact the entire school. And I think that's something that's been interesting for me to see and talking to people since this news came out, how there's definitely people who feel that their perspective was represented in this decision and they're very happy with this decision. And there's definitely people who don't feel that way.
0: Mm-hmm. So so before we, obviously, we this is where we're going to end up. And I think this is something that you guys have a front row seat to everything you're talking about. I kind of, I, I guess for listeners to understand, but also, I guess for us, to try to wrap our heads around why it is that we ended up with Poliski. Um, so you guys have spent, you know, four years in your case, Ella, three years in your case, Leah, um, right, sports writing at Northwestern, which means you're in proximity to the athletic department, which means you're in proximity to athletic department figures. Um, and I guess I, I that that's all the way of saying you'd be in position to say why – why pick Mike Poliski? Right. So if we ignore all the places we're going to be going shortly, right? What's what's the selling point? Why pick Mike Poliski? What what would inspire the people to your point, Leah, the people who are extremely pleased with this, what would inspire um, Northwestern to make this choice?
3: Yeah, I can start with that and then I bet Leah can probably pick up and adding some more of her own. And I think when we're talking about, you know, the search for this athletic director and everything that happened since Phillips made the announcement that he was leaving for the ACC in December until now, kind of looking at the context of all the other changes that have happened at Northwestern in that time is also to like important to consider. You know, at the end of last football season, you guys knew it as well as we both did. We were hearing the rumors of, you know, Pat Fitzgerald to the NFL. We had heard those rumors about, how he was seriously considering NFL jobs and whether or not there was that much truth to any of those in the end. It was still, you know, conversations of change of potential change that, you know, Mike Hankowitz had left or had left, Jim Phillips was about to depart. There were those conversations. And then in January, Fitz got his uh, his long contract extension. And then so that that's I think one factor was, you know, as this search committee was beginning its process, there was kind of that whether how how strong it was, we don't know. But a definite level of uncertainty, I'd say, about whether or not, or about the future of the football program and Pat Fitzgerald, who's probably the most important figure in this athletic department, that that was the question. And then kind of fast forwarding to March, and you have a the announcement that Morton Shapiro was going to be uh, leaving his position as Northwestern's president um, in a time to come. I think, you know, looking at those two changes, especially for a school that, you know, when you look at the the last 10 or 12 years of Northwestern, there those those big name figures had been so permanent and there had been so little change. And then you kind of see those waves of potential change. And in the case of, you know, Morty Shapiro, like actual an actual change and an actual departure, I think that was important to consider. That was something that I was, you know, keeping in mind throughout the search for that Northwestern athletic director. And then, you know, looking at where we are now with the next athletic director being an internal candidate after kind of, the last, the the events of the last five months, I think, made a lot of sense practically in my mind as to why they would want to choose an internal candidate. You know, Jim Phillips was such a presence and a figure, both in terms of, you know, what he'd done, uh, excuse me, what he'd done um, kind of. Physically for the department, but also just what people heard about him being a man manager inside the inside the athletics, inside the university as a whole. And um, I think what I'd heard a lot of people talking about before today, just about who Mike Polisky was. And, uh, you know, eventually once the announcement became official yesterday was that, you know, after everything that's happened at the university in the last five months, athletics speaking, administratively speaking, if that's an adjective. You know, picking an internal candidate was to replace a character like Jim Phillips was was a priority, or I don't know if I'd say a priority, but was a no. big selling. Yeah, <laughs> just, big I'd
0: say priority. no. I'd say it was a priority. I'd say <laughs> yeah. I'd say the evidence is pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It it felt it feels to me just like very kind of status quo. Yeah. No, I mean that, but that makes sense. I think it makes sense that there would be um that there they would want that stability and yet i think something that we were talking about right before you know we we started recording with you guys that we that we knew we wanted to talk about is um i think you were both talking about the fact that that's true right that in this sense there's that lack of stability within the athletic department but i think something that a lot of people including us really aren't really properly aware of was that there's kind of been a lack of stability on campus at Northwestern or in and around the Northwestern community over, you know, a similar time frame, or even going um, farther back that in, you know, it's kind of becoming apparent looms just as large as everything else here. And I was wondering, you know, either, maybe Leah, um, you could speak to exactly, um, you know, what kind of things we should be aware of that needed to be folded into this.
2: Yeah. So I think that, The kind of the, the issues that the student, many of the students have with this decision kind of boil down to that topic that you just introduced there. And I think something that I've been having trouble with and kind of disagreements that I've been getting in or, you know, feeling or thinking with alumni is that the student experience is very different than the perception that other people outside of the school have. And I think the Northwestern that you all went to, the Northwestern that are relatives went to, that people went to decades ago, is very, very different than the Northwestern that is happening right now. And over the past year, especially, the the, the student body is Unhappy. And I think that that's kind of become abundantly clear. And I'm sure you all have heard about it. There have been protests. And honestly, it's really not just the students, the faculty have had issues with the leadership. And as you all may have seen, there's that letter written and signed by 80 different female faculty members. I was published in the Daily a couple months ago about their frustrations with the leadership and how they treat women on campus. And I think that, you know, these are. There are issues that you may be aware of if you don't go to the school, but if you're not on that campus every single day, it's very hard to fully get it because people may know about it, but we live it. And I think the thing that has come from this situation to me that I've come to realize the most is that the administration at the school, the higher-ups, the leadership, and kind of their interests are very different from the students and the faculty. And I think that a lot of times those two groups are butt heads and it has kind of created this tense environment and a hire like this just kind of exacerbates those effects. And I want to make this abundantly clear because I think people may have misinterpreted me or thought that I was saying one thing. Mike Polisky is 100% qualified for this position on paper. His credentials, he has done great things for this school in terms of his marketing and his role as assistant ad for the whatever whatever he was deputy ad for the past decade i think that people can't deny that he's qualified but kind of what ella was saying this idea of stability and this idea of you want to find someone to replace jim phillips who was such a respected figure at this school i guess my perspective is that the school looked at it as the idea of like if it ain't broke don't fix it so Poliski's probably going to have some similar philosophies as Phillips. It's probably going to be, I mean, they were very close to each other. They worked together with each other for a long time. But, you know, I guess we could all say that about all of society. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't think that's a fair perspective to have because just because he was qualified doesn't mean that the other number of finalists weren't qualified either. And I think we can talk for hours about them and what could have made them great candidates as well and could have possibly change the trajectory of where the school's going in a broader community
4: it's such a myopic view of well athletics is going great so we can't change and not understanding the the potential impact that that hiring a woman or a person of color into this athletic director role could have had and i think you you articulated that very well in your article leah i'm curious just going back um briefly to the to the attention on campus. Um, and if, if I might inject a little humor for a moment, um, <laughs> when, when we were in school, the biggest scandal, um, from the student perspective was after my freshman year in 1998, um, the student affairs office decided to end the student tailgates in the parking lots because they were basically like drunk fest and they left a giant mess and she was done with it. And so she ended it and we were all upset and it was, you know, like rah, 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 you know, fight the man, that sort of thing. Um, Obviously that is that like, that pales, pales in, in um, comparison. There's, I mean, let's but, be
0: honest. When we were at Northwestern, there was not that overarching current
4: of negativity. No, like that, that no, there exist. wasn't. There wasn't. And what, what I'm, what I'm curious is, are there any, are there any events that that y'all can point to or any any kind of um, moments that that stand out that really accentuated that that tension? Or has it has it been part of the, you know, the broader movement that we've seen around um, our culture in the United States with, you know, whether it's the, you know, the murder of George Floyd or the Me Too movement that was that was um, happening in you know the six months prior to that? I, I'm, I'm curious what the flashpoints for that tension on campus were.
3: Ellie, you want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, I can try to, and you'll probably have to, to hop in and help okay. explain the context because it's a little tricky to understand when you're not fully here. And I hope we can do the best at explaining that. Like I know there's been a lot of like great student journalism that has been produced about the last event or the events of especially the fall um, here at Northwestern. So like we can try to do it justice. But um, I think one of the... The kind of inflection points of this last year, specifically, was um, you know again, I don't know how much like Northwestern alums or just older generations of Northwestern alums know, but there's a, a, currently a student group on campus called uh, NU Community Not Cops, which is um, you know has been protesting since last June. Kind of, uh, it began the, this student group began um, at you know the height of the the Black Lives Matter movement that kind of started last June. And they have been protesting for, you know, the university to abolish its university police department and then um, to, you know, take away funding from Evanston police. And there was uh, a protest in, Leah, I think it was October of 2020, mm-hmm. right? That sounds um, right. Yeah. So there was uh, a series of protests or so this group, uh, NU Community Not Cops, uh, had been protesting or through 30 days of action in our fall court in the fall quarter of this year. And, um, one of those projects, hold on, there's a fire engine going. <laughs> so I- I- ironically. <laughs> yeah,
4: very ironically. Um,
3: yeah, there was, there was an incident in the fall at a protest in which, um, you know, student protesters walked all the way up Sheridan road to Morty, uh, to Morty Shapiro's house. And, um, you know, like we're actively protesting outside of his house and, uh, you know after that morning Shapiro sent an email that to the entire student body with language that like like I don't remember the exact text of the email or um, you know what exactly came of it, but a lot of the student body thought that you know this was an example of you know the university administration not just not listening, not only not listening to you know student concerns and student demands for a better environment on campus, but actively, you know, like choosing a side against students and, you know, siding with the, the Evanston police department instead of the students um, and making accusations against the students. And, you know, this is like, there, there's a lot of good student journalism coverage, especially that the daily did that fall um, that kind of highlights the tensions that led up into that moment between, you know, student protesters and administration But I think that was, an at least for me, that was an inflection point in kind of the peak of this distrust between the university administration and its students that had been, you know, growing throughout the fall with all the uncertainty around the return to campus because of the pandemic, um, which ended up being a very limited return to campus in the fall for only half of the student body, Um, you know, a lot of quiet about that, Um, just levels of distrust kind of Fueled by these movements that have been happening nationwide and around the world, but also, you know, very localized. This is like a—I'm struggling to display the or like eloquently explain everything that's been happening on this campus. But the, there's been a lack of transparency from university administration in the decisions that they make, whether it's about you know returning to campus, um, you know, decisions about funding and where funding goes, um, decisions about faculty. Uh, that's kind of been brewing up until this point and culminated in this big moment in October when, you know, it was a lot of students viewed the university administration, specifically the president, as, you know, being overtly antagonistic toward his own student body, if that makes sense. Leah, if you want to throw in anything in there, I've I to you, that poorly, but... No, you nailed it. No, that was no, that's I, exactly
2: it.
0: So, 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 given all of that, right, um, it's it's in a way a pivot to a situation that of course the daily covered that ran parallel to this. I mean, not parallel to the fall, but certainly parallel to the things that you're talking about that was simultaneously not related to those things and yet echoed a lot of the same things. And this would be the Hayden Richardson lawsuit, um, and uh, Alyssa Johnson's related story with the daily. Um, And, um, Ella, I know, you know, you, you work for the daily, you weren't directly involved in, um, the reporting of that story, but this, I mean, everything you just said, I'm here, I'm seeing a lot of echoes in this story of the idea of people, specifically women, cheerleaders, not feeling, and and women of color, not feeling that they are heard by the administration. And this is a situation that where Polisky's name comes up vividly multiple times. And I was wondering if you could kind of take us through that.
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, in I guess this was February, late January, early February. Obviously, the the first story uh, to come out, I believe, was in the Chicago Tribune. And um, that was a story about the the Hayden Richardson lawsuit, which was, um, you know, Hayden Richardson was a, was a cheerleader at Northwestern who filed a lawsuit alleging that she had been, um, you know, inappropriately touched by drunken fans at tailgates and alumni at, uh, at football game, pregame tailgates at events at the Wilson Club. Um, and that these experiences of harassment and sexual exploitation were met with inaction from Northwestern officials. And, um, you know, whether those officials were, her were the Northwestern cheerleading coach at the time or, um, you know, officials who worked at in the university administration after she filed her formal, like, uh, her formal title nine complaint. And then, um, so that was the initial story that came out in the Chicago Tribune. And then, uh, I think the same week or a few days later, um, like you mentioned, there was a story written really well-reported story written by Alyssa Johnson in the daily Northwestern that, um, Reported the the incidents that, or the 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 many numerous instances in which Black cheerleaders on the cheerleading team had faced racial discrimination. Um, you know, allegations that the coach in question, who is no longer working at the school and no longer working with the cheerleading team, um, had been prohibiting women on the cheerleading team from wearing braids to games, and um, that uh, again that these cheerleaders were met with complaints from the athlete or presented their complaints to the athletic department and, um, you know, were met with either inaction or uh, incomplete action that was taken on those parts. So I, I think that's the, the closest brief summary of what exactly happened in those two stories about the culture within the cheerleading team and the inaction on Northwestern administration's part. And then obviously, um, you know, we could probably talk about the exact role that Mike puts played in those or was alleged to play in those two cases but I guess that's the briefest summary of how that those two stories happened
0: yeah I think we were you know we were going back over it and and I think that's the thing is his name does come up and it comes up vividly and again this is the situation where um, you know you you see that Northwestern kind of the Friday before they announced Poliski announces that they filed a, a motion to dismiss the Hayden Richardson lawsuit. And again, that's getting into all the legal ground and all the legal things and, and what's legally provable, what's not legally provable, but um, you,
1: uh, and, and to be clear, none of us are lawyers. We're not right, even pretending to oh, know what exactly, you know, um, on that, down that stretch. Exactly.
0: And I think, What, what jumped out to us though is, and this echoes something that I think we want to talk, uh, you know, the, the quote unquote other lawsuit, um, Polisky's mentioned that, that we want to talk about with Leah in a second, but there are two slightly differing, but very vivid accounts of a meeting where Richardson had, um, brought her complaints, um, to administrators, including Polisky and had been told, um, Come back with corroboration, which again, that already is getting into a a kind of dangerously gray Title IX area in terms of what you should do when someone comes to you with what's clearly a Title IX complaint. But Richardson and another cheerleader, Antoinette White, come back and they sit down with Poliski in a meeting. Now, in the lawsuit, Richardson says that Poliski accused her of fabricating evidence. White does not say that in Alyssa Johnson's article, but White says that it became very clear, very quickly that she felt that Blisky, you know, wasn't having it, that he was backing the coach, that this was not something where to, to echo everything you said earlier, where they felt heard and that this began that, that this, you know, it's just one of those things where I guess everything you said, because we're not privy to all this stuff that's going on on the campus. and, And again, like Scuzz said, our experience was different. And but hearing things like this, as as bad as they look to us looking in from the outside, I can see how this would be a parallel situation that would just pour kind of gasoline onto an already burning fire. Is that what is that kind of how it played out on campus?
2: Are you saying like once the news was released about... I,
0: I'm just saying in the context of everything that you've already described as going on on campus, I, I guess, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, what no. Was, I- what was the reaction on campus when when this story and this lawsuit broke?
2: Yeah, I I think what you said is honestly absolutely right. I think it was just, for I think for students, it was just another instance of just not feeling supported by the people who are essentially hired to support the student body and kind of foster an environment that is a healthy learning environment for students to go to this university. I think at the end of the day, like I get schools or businesses, I get there's money, I get there's finances involved, but like as a athletic director, as a president of a university, as whatever kind of leadership position you are, I think that a big part of your job is supporting the students who go to that school. And I think that when this article came out of the Tribune, when Alyssa Johnson's article came out, when all these things just kept coming out, it was just a lot of students reaction was like, okay, here's another one. Here we go. Let's just keep adding it to the pile because that's kind of been the sentiment on campus that this is not necessarily unique to Morty or not necessarily unique to any department or any area of the leadership. But now we're spanning multiple departments. And I feel like for so long, especially in the fall, it felt like athletics was kind of separate from this. It was, this was an issue. This was a political issue. This was a social issue. This was the education side of Northwestern and especially with the great football season we had, like, you know, athletics was that release. It's that separate thing that we don't have to consider when we're talking about these tough things, but now we've brought it in. And I think with this week's news, it's, they're going to be hand in hand for a lot longer now.
3: Yeah. I think that's a really great point that Leah just made there, especially, you know, as everything was happening on campus in the fall and like I mentioned before, only half of the student body uh, was allowed back on campus because of the pandemic. So, you know, everyone who was here kind of felt everything that was happening on campus a little more because it was such a small group of people here and, you know, everyone was experiencing this up close. But um, so that's a great point that Leah just made about, you know, at first in the fall, we kind of, it almost seemed like there was the separation between, you know, what was happening on campus and what was happening, you know, in athletics with, especially with football being the sport that was being played and being played so, um, you know, so publicly and, uh, you know, with Northwestern being so front facing in that sense throughout that whole fall. And then, you know, when these two stories came out in February, it was a reminder that, um, and I think Alyssa wrote this in the the end of her story that, you know, specifically with this, the experiences that the Black cheerleaders on this team faced, it was a reminder of, you know, a broader institutional inability for, by Northwestern's administration to address these issues that its students were facing and were were presenting as problems to the administration that went and, you know, presentations that went unanswered. And, you know, I think that was a reflection of everything that was happening on campus in in the fall and what students were, you know, protesting against and demanding better from administration in the fall and then for these two things, these two stories to come to light in the in the winter, kind of, in athletics, in a space where, you know, we've been here a while, or we've been here four years. There haven't been major, you know, scandals inside the Northwestern Athletic Department, at least in the last three years on this level of magnitude. And, you know, I, I think Leah just really said it perfectly in terms of it brought it into the athletic space and realized that, you know, however separate, athletics may feel from and the athletic department may feel from the rest of the university, like the the issues inside the athletic department reflected greater ones at Northwestern itself.
2: One more thing that I want to, I want to add to that too, that literally just came to my mind. Um, I remember, I think it was the Nebraska football game. It might've been, Um, it was one of the fall games at a home game. I was covering it this fall and the Northwestern community, not cops group came and protested at the football game and they were right outside the gates of Ryan Field and you could hear them from the press box protesting and it i don't know, maybe i don't remember what, exactly what game it was maybe it was Maryland i think it might have been Maryland uh, yeah it was, it was the Maryland. It was Maryland yeah so it was the first game of the season and there were obviously no fans there besides the parents so it kind of was just brushed under the rug and no one ever really said anything about it they kind of just continued the game like nobody knew it was going to happen and I'm just thinking like in a non-pandemic year that stadium would have been packed the first game of the season there would have been people there it would have had a lot more of an impact and I think that we might have started to see these lines of athletics and what's happening on campus cross a little bit earlier I think that the school was able to kind of keep those separate because you know people weren't coming to campus there were so few people here that unless you were here, you didn't necessarily know what was happening besides what the Daily was putting out there. Um, so I, I think that's just interesting. And now, obviously, with the response to this this hire, it's, it's kind of hard to keep those two separate any longer.
4: That is such an interesting element to me because mere days before that game, the entire, I shouldn't say entire, but much of the Northwestern athletic apparatus, alumni, football fans, etc., celebrated the video that J.R. Pace put out
1: uh-huh.
4: and the call <laughs> to, if you cheer us, hear us. Uh-huh. And to, un- and, and to be, become aware of a protest mere days later related to the same fundamental issues of African-Americans not feeling heard or seen and a protest happening outside the stadium. It's just like, I'm kind of reeling from it physically right now. Just, just hearing you recount that. Um, and it, but it, but it, it does, it all funnels into this broader issue of not listening and not, not engaging right with, with the concerns that get brought up and trying to brush things under the rug or trying to push things, push things off and, and ignore them. And it's, um, I'll be honest as an alum, as an alum, it's, it's, it's so disappointing and it's so frustrating. And I, and I don't like, th- this is a, this is a personal thing that, that I've been thinking as, as I've been preparing for, for this conversation and such like, I, like n- I don't think any of us are here suggesting that, you know, we should go fire Mike Polisky. It's, it's, no. it's the idea that like he just got given a much bigger responsibility he's the face of the athletic department quite literally now and um, well like d- that d- We're like that comes with problems right well
0: um well so so here's here's something i want to talk about too because i think leah and ella both of you have done a really good job um mapping out why this why this okay so like the, the word optics has been getting thrown around a lot lately, right? Yeah. And optics can, can mean a lot of different things. The optics you're presenting to the campus right now are horrible through this hire. But mm-hmm. I just want to, you know, I feel like it's important, and and again, this will go to something that that we'll talk about in a second, but it's important to remember, right, that when Hayden Richardson was dealing with everything that led her to file a lawsuit, and Erica Carter and the other African American cheerleaders, cheerleaders of color, were dealing with like that predated a lot of this stuff, right? Like they yep. these are their issues. These are their personal problems. And they had personal dealings uh with Poliski that were very negative. And I just want because I think a lot of people I, you know, and this this goes to this whole separate thing, right? Where um, Leah, you kind of mentioned it earlier. I was reading some of the kind of unfortunate comments, you know. I, well, first of all, I don't want to misrepresent. Ninety five percent of the things people are saying about your excellent piece are exactly that—that that it's excellent. But you do see the same kind of things that reflect the same kind of national divides, right? And making it about politics and and things like that. And I just want to say that Northwestern brought that on. Like people are having those politicized discussions right now online fighting each other because of a hiring decision Northwestern made a couple of days ago. So it's like mm-hmm. no one brought that on but the Northwestern leadership when they hired Mike Polisky. That's what precipitated this thing that's damaging the NU community in that particular way right now john
1: thank
4: you for saying that infinitely more eloquently than i was (laughs) i
0: I just i just want to say it's like because and it's not even that it's like it's young and old it's it's like there's just a lot of people in the northwestern community pointing fingers at each other right now that didn't have to be pointed because this is a hire that didn't have to be made they're Mm -hmm. like it's not about he wasn't going to get fired. It wasn't about sending anyone to jail. This was just whether or not we elevate a particular person or get someone from the outside. In any case, I wanted to circle back to, again, and this is a whole separate you know thing. And, you know, you can go along the lines of, OK, so what was Poliski's role relative to Phillips was – Polisky, in some ways, a shield from Phillips, a vehicle to Phillips, et cetera. That's a whole other rabbit hole. I'm not going to go down that. The bottom line is Polisky's name's on a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And in this case, in these particular cases, um, again, uh, separate from what legally happened or didn't happen, the lawsuit— And Antoinette White's recounting in the Daily Northwestern article— both paint vivid pictures of a really bad meeting with Polisky um, where where things I mean, you can't argue that that's not a legal argument. This meeting went really poorly. And a lot of that came from his direction. And the other thing is, for those in the know, um, this is not happening in a vacuum with Polisky. And this takes us to, I think, a thing that again, Leah, your website is really mm-hmm. was has been out front and center for and and really kind of beating a drum when few were. And that's the the Johnny Vassar situation, where Poliski's name also comes up a lot. And you know, I think we were hoping that you could kind of walk us through that a little bit.
2: Sure. So obviously I wasn't on campus during this time, so I only know what has been related to me since, but Essentially, you know, my understanding of this story was Johnny Vassar was a basketball player at Northwestern and he sued Northwestern and the NCAA um, saying that Northwestern, Chris Collins, other people in the athletic department um, allegedly pressured him to either transfer or relinquish his scholarship or something so that his spot could be given to somebody else who they wanted to bring in. So essentially my understanding is that I believe he did end up kind of not being a part of the team anymore, but still wanted to attend Northwestern. And for that to happen, uh, the school had some sort of like work study type program for athletes. So normally this program is used for athletes who um, have to medically retire, so they can still attend school on the scholarship. But Obviously, Vassar did not medically retire. It was a little bit of a different situation. So what the school had him do was work this internship where he was working, like, I think eight hours a week unpaid so that he could keep his scholarship and still attend Northwestern. Now, there's usually a lot of different opportunities for those internships. They have some in ticket sales. They have some in marketing, kind of all the different athletic departments. And supposedly what so this story was reported in vice by kevin trahan who's the founder of inside new former northwestern student and he said that johnny vassar told him that there were a lot of different um positions open but that he was given the position to be like a maintenance man or a janitor. So he was like painting the lines on the football field, doing like a lot of dirty work that he didn't particularly want to do and didn't really contribute to any of his passions. Like some of these other positions that other positions that were open, and supposedly um, he received some hand received some sort of email saying that. Um, there were other opportunities available, and Johnny Vassar knew there were other opportunities available. And when he asked Poliski, Can I switch to something else? Poliski was like, No, if you want to keep your scholarship, you have to stay in this position and keep working as a janitor. Um, so essentially, they had a similar kind of disagreement where there was some sort of meeting and some sort of discussion between the two, between a student athlete and Poliski. And for whatever reason, allegedly, Poliski did not allow him to switch that position. Um, I'm pretty sure that Vassar ended up transferring elsewhere. I believe the case was settled in the end. Not sure about all the aftermath, but again, I mean, he is cited in this case. He was involved in that situation and just kind of another thing that, you know, is on his record when he's being considered for this job.
0: It's so again, God. no, go ahead.
4: Well, as I what what's, what's so galling about that? And I just like, to, to preempt, I think some of, you know, th- th- there's a lot of, there's a lot of reactions to that, you know, a- anecdote, right. Um, anecdotes probably not the right word, but you know, he said, he said, and this, that, another thing, but what's frustrating about that for me. And, and what is fact is that a scholarship athlete who was essentially like cl- clearly no longer had a place on the team in the eyes of the coaches was run off from the program. Mm -hmm. And that is a common experience in college athletics, but it's something that Northwestern outwardly says they don't do. That's what's so upsetting about this story. And like all the facts, all all the, all the details that come later, like make it even worse, but the, just the highest level of like Northwestern has, has argued that they give four year scholarships for like, and before the big 10 mandated it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Northwestern argued like, Oh yeah, we, you know, we do that, like, you know, life in the league, yada, yada, yada. Right. This is, this situation is fundamentally at its core before you even get into the details and who said what, or did what, or didn't do what is against the values that Northwestern purpose to uphold. And that's, that's a fundamental issue. You know, people make mistakes, but that's, the guy, Like, the guy that didn't uphold, the, uphold those values, we've now put in charge of upholding those values for the entire athletic department.
3: Yeah, no, I was just going to hop in there and say I think that's something I've really noticed over the last four years, and especially, you know, in this larger context of things that we've been talking about and then with, with the decision made recently is, you know, Northwestern has created, and even, you know, as a larger university and then as an athletic department, Northwestern has created this perception that, you know, it does... Care about its student. It really cares about its students. It pushes the needle forward progressively in a way that other, you know, schools, other Big Ten schools, other top ten universities, other, you know, top tier athletic departments doesn't. And then, um, you know, it it really creates this perception. And then something like this, a decision like this, will come in and you know completely contradict that narrative. Or you know, a, a year like this will happen at the school and completely. Contradict that narrative. And, you know, I think that's something that the people who have worked, who have covered Northwestern sports or um, for student media or larger media talk about a lot is that, you know, this isn't, there isn't a huge market of people covering Northwestern sports or talking about this. You know, I think this would be a very different story if it was in terms of how much publicity it got, how much attention it got if this was happening at a a different school that had a much larger media following or much larger you know market covering that those happenings and that's you know something that I've noticed as I've been here is that you know there is this perception of Northwestern being different and you know Northwestern consistently doing things the right way and you know a decision like this and a reaction like this kind of Pokes a pretty big hole in that, and oh. that's been something we've seen. Yeah,
1: as- I I, I was, I, I was talking with a friend of mine who went to a, an SEC school uh, about all this, and you know, he was saying, "Hey, welcome to the rest of the world." Yeah, and I'm like, oh, "Come on!" I, uh, I. <laughs> but um, I, I was wondering, have either of you had any uh, personal interactions with Polisky? Um, you know, I, I, you know, by all accounts, he very well could do a fantastic job as ad and you know he's eminently qualified but you know there's so many all these clouds around him have either of you interacted with him personally um and had uh, positive or negative uh interactions
3: i have not okay yeah i i met him very briefly at at the holiday bowl i believe in san diego two or three years ago now but um not enough of an interaction to uh kind of make any determinations or anything
0: sure i i was i was just thinking what what you just said before ella about um the idea of the relatively small thing and right this being another school and and what sam just said and um this is something that again it has really been rolling around in my brain for exactly that reason and Um, I guess as a, as a preamble, I guess I would ask an unrelated, did either of you watch the Oscars this year?
3: Yes. I did. And I think you know where this story is going.
0: Yes. So (laughs) I think for, for any of us who did, and there weren't many of us, um, there, um, me and Neil who won an Oscar and then, um, you know, practically if you were a Northwestern fan, you kind of got kicked in the teeth out of nowhere because, um, and, and, but I mean, not without good reason because she mentioned that her grandfather went to Northwestern and everyone watching who was a Northwestern person went, Hey, that's great. And then she said at a time when he had to stay at the YMCA because they didn't allow blacks to stay on campus. And everyone who was a Northwestern fan, your heart just sank and you went, Ugh. and it's one of those moments that, you know, you remember like Northwestern, like so many places has, dark historical moments that we hope to say, um, we can, we can move on from. And I guess this takes me back to the Johnny Vassar situation, because like you said, there's so much, and you know, Leah, you did an awesome job of, of laying it out. And, you know, you laid out that even, um, uh, Kevin Trahan, who's, you know, going, gone through all this and, um, you know that he's got emails and he's tried to sort this all out and talking with Vassar and, and that Vice story is is amazing. Um, it's it's so informative and so long, and I worry that that there are people who who got lost in in it and um, kind of got caught up in the whole well well legally, what can they prove happened and what didn't happen, and what do we know? And and so here's the thing, right? Here's one thing we know for a hundred percent certainty happened. Um, Johnny Vassar and his mom sat down with Mike Polisky and Collins was there and uh, and Phillips was there. And Vassar says in the Vice story, the Polisky was the one who's like, you gotta come in and do this. Now, you know, that's a throwaway detail. I guess it could not be true. Why would he make that up? It's just a throwaway detail about who called him and was like, this is the person who told me I had to come in and do this. But he sat down and sign this agreement that was totally unnecessary. Like, there was no reason to do it. He's doing labor for no reason. Uh, there, he he didn't, like, this didn't free up his scholarship. Everyone else on the program, it was so their scholarship could be freed up for a medically retired player. Um, his scholarship's not getting freed up. There's literally no reason for him to do this. And in the Vice story, they, you know, he talks to some NCAA compliance people who were like, Yeah, this is this is not a good deal. Like, in in other words, if Northwestern had contacted the NCAA compliance about this, NCAA would be like, you're taking a guy who's still on scholarship and you're making him do additional work for basically no reason. No, don't do that. Um, So this is all to say you zoom out. This is something we know happened. It's probably Poliski who told him to come in. And the bottom line here is a bunch of white guys had a black man sign an unnecessary document requiring him to do manual labor to continue to remain on scholarship at one of the top 10 universities in the country. How is that image going to age over time? Is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? When we look at this 20 years from now, and to Ella's point, The only thing keeping this pile of radioactive waste from spilling into the public domain is that not a lot of people cover Northwestern sports. And I guess to my thinking on all this, I'm like, you're like, the one thing you could do with this radioactive waste, and I don't mean from a decency perspective, I mean from an optics perspective, is to bury it and hope that it doesn't come out until a time far in the future, when you can be like, yes, but look, we've had a African American female athletic director for the last 20 years, and we're working to move past this period. And it's like, this is just going to keep coming up. And it's only going to get worse. Um, And I'm just like, I, I, I just don't, I, I don't know, I don't necessarily have an exit point from this other than that when you really dig into it and you dig into what we know optically it's just bad and this is just pouring gas on the fire and it just seems like you guys told us all these stories about what's going on in campus and what's going on and it's like all roads seem to lead to the same destination here which is like don't do this go another way i again i i i I, you know i'm searching for a way to, to get this out of my I, I feel like i'm petering out here but
1: well um, I have... the, the the thing that you know jumps to my mind is like Poliski can't have been so much better than yep. the three other women who were there I, it, that i mean yep. is he so much better that they're willing to go through all of this nonsense
2: that that's exactly what i was going to say and that's conversations that i've had with people that you know i i hope that northwestern makes its decision for more than a pr move and more than, you know, saying, look at us being leaders in this, which obviously that wasn't the reason that they did this. But, you know, there had to be some kind of conversation, right? Like when they were making this final decision, they had to discuss that these things were associated with him. Like you would have thought that they didn't just let this slide by and be like, oh, nobody's going to realize that he's mentioned in these two lawsuits. Like there's definitely was some kind of discussion. And on paper, like, He's a strong candidate, no doubt. But, like, so are the other three finalists. Like, if you look at their records, um, King, who works for Duke, has been working for there for 15 years as, like, a deputy athletic director. If you look at Anusha Brown, who's, like, one of the best basketball players in Northwestern history, works for the Knicks, has gone through so much in her career, works for the NCAA. You look at who? I, her name It's Jana Blaze, right? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't want to say it wrong. Is that right?
1: I think that's right, yeah.
2: Well, Jana, anyways, she, you know, was literally appointed the interim athletic director, had ma- manages five major departments at Northwestern. Like it there's there's no it, it's not like there was a clear front runner in this pile of applicants by any means, not even just these four, even the others who were mentioned just out of you know there like some of the like what ella was mentioning earlier some of the athletic directors from berkeley and other schools and napoleon harris was thrown in the mix like of all of these people there was not one that significantly arose from the group as the clear front runner so i just that's where i start like from an from an optics perspective how was, was it really worth it
4: it i mean it on, on its surface and, and i'll be honest like Six days ago, certainly I was aware of the Vassar situation. Certainly I was aware of the of the Christensen lawsuit. Um, I don't think in either case I had. I had Poliski's name on the tip of my tongue, but, you know, on our our pod two weeks ago, we were talking about Adam Rittenberg's tweet where he he kind of laid out, hey, here's all the here's all the names that I'm hearing. Um, who could be in the mix for this job. And and you referenced it earlier, the Washington state AD and the Cal AD. And I think someone from rice, um, Nina King from Duke, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as (laughs) I, I read off all these names on our podcast. And at the end, I mentioned Polisky and place. And like in, in my head mentally, I didn't, I didn't even consider the internal candidates that as, as, not that there weren't viable options, but I just I just thought in replacing Jim Phillips, surely we're going to make a splash and bring in, you know, a a, a name from another place, someone who has, you know, really done the work as 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 the AD, as as the face. So many of those candidates were um, were people of color or or women, which. Like I, I I strongly I have the privilege to make some hiring decisions in my in my in my company in my day job, and I I really believe you need to be intentional about giving opportunities to to diverse candidates to to actually make a change. Like I think I think I think that's important. Um, and this just seemed like such a great opportunity to do that at a, at an institution that prides itself on being at the forefront and to being different. And it it's. It, I, I think you said this in your article, Leah. It's just disappointing.
2: Another thing that I'd add to that is, you know, this not only is this a school that prides itself on being different and trying to be at the forefront of change, whether that's true or not. I think that this is, from an athletics perspective, this is a school that, yes, has a great football team, yes, has had some success in its basketball history, but it's women's sports. Yes. Are, make this school what it is. All of the top-ranked programs are women's sports. And I had a conversation with someone, and we talked about the idea of, you know, the football players, the basketball players, the baseball players, they see... Like, if you look... if There's been all these, like, psychological studies done about, like, you know, seeing somebody from a similar demographic as you in, like, a position of leadership makes you, you know, want to do that, strive to that point. These, A lot of these men who are going to have a good chance of working in athletics in some capacity in the future, they have those role models. A lot of these women athletes, which are some of the best women athletes in the country and 100% have the potential to go on and make major cha- differences in college sports, professional sports, whatever they do, they don't really have that same pool of leaders that... The male athletes have at this school. So Northwestern being a school that prides itself on its women's sports had that prime opportunity to put someone in a position to be that role model for them and passed up on that opportunity. It's
0: like separate from everything else. There was that great reason to make that choice. Mm -hmm. um, Ella, I'm curious from your perspective, because you're, I mean, you're heading out here you've had an illustrious four-year journalistic career at northwestern um you're on headed onward and upward watching to post and and then whatever is beyond that point heading out at this moment how does this frame you know or, or affect your your kind of four-year experience at northwestern
3: yeah I've been thinking a lot about that in the last uh, last three or four days, as I bet you can assume. You know, I, I came into Northwestern, you know, this is just a continuation of everything we've been talking about uh, So thus far. You know, I came into Northwestern, I was kind of wide-eyed and doe-eyed and a little like naive to everything that happens in college athletics. And I think a lot of, you know, people buy into the, this idea that I was mentioning before that, you know, because Northwestern's... Consider you know a top ten school academically and a top ten school or like often a top school athletically you know they do it different here and you know that's not just in athletics that's in academics that's in social culture that's in you know relationships between the administration and the student body that's in every facet of Northwestern is that they kind of sell you that okay things are things are different here and you know the events of the last year kind of tacked on with what's happened or I guess the events of the last year and then add on what has happened in the last week has, you know, kind of burst that bubble as much as it, you know, even more than it was already burst before. You know, I, I, this is, things like this happen in college athletics and are far too common in college athletics. You know, we hear about these, these scandals and this mistreatment of um, you know, women inside a college athletic departments and programs and, you know, e- even very specifically with, the lawsuit that's in question, you know, we hear about the mistreatment of, and the undertreatment of cheerleading programs around at college universities around colleges and universities around the country. That's not a new story at all. And, um, you know, I think there, there is this illusion, especially in athletics. And, you know, I bought into that when I came here that Northwestern is different. And um, I think in some senses it is, but at the same time, you know, decisions like this only illuminate how it is not and you know or or even different in a bad way you know like I I just think it's very tough it's a weird time to graduate because I feel like and I'm incredibly grateful for all the opportunities I've had to to cover sports here and to see stories or you know to be up close with Northwestern athletics and you know, play a part in telling the stories of these athletes and these teams, and you know the people at the school who really do great things in the athletic space. And you know, it's disheartening that this is kind of how part of this chapter for me is closing. And I, you know, Leah's been saying it before. This is an amazing school for women's sports. This is an amazing school for for so many sports. And I hate that something like this happens and, you know, uh, like, I, I, I just, it's a, it's tough to articulate, especially as I'm nearing the end, but, um, I don't know. I, it's, it, I think it'd be too simplistic to say just, this is like left to tarnish on like what I've experienced here at Northwestern. but it's, it's been that for sure.
4: Ella, I love what you just said about telling the stories of of the student athletes. Cause I, 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 we, you know, I've, I've seen a couple comments from, from folks that are friends of ours, either, you know, reading Leah, your story or, 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 or otherwise in the past, I have friends in the past that have have made the choice to disassociate them with, with Northwestern sports or, or Northwestern as a whole for one reason or another. And that, and that's their choice. And, and I'm in no way, am I going to judge that for me personally, the athletes and 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 what these young men and women are accomplishing and and doing with with the northwestern logo on their on their jersey that does still mean something to me and even in the light of of some of this um you know frustration with the administration or or decisions i disagree with or or, or disappointments that i have like that will never change for me and i and I, I i will i will always still gravitate to those to those stories and those individuals and and what what they're accomplishing and and that's that's my 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 personal thing, I, I think your comment, that it, like it's too complex to just say that this tarnishes everything is is it, everything is more complex these days. Right. Like 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 we have to parse these things in, in our minds and figure out what we're what we're individually comfortable with. But um, I guess I, I just wanted to share that from my perspective that, you know, I, w- I will continue to root for Northwestern athletes and I will I will continue to be disappointed in this in this decision um, around the athletic director. And I don't, those two things don't need to be mutually exclusive, I guess. Um, from my, from my perspective,
0: well, Leah, I, I'm curious uh, kind of on, on the backs of that, on the back of what Scott said and on the back of what, what Ella just said, you're, so, I mean, you're still, you're no longer at Inside NU, but you're still at Northwestern. Um, you're mm-hmm. still, you're still a student journalist. Um, I mean, it's, it's which all caps this week, I mean, again, what what an op-ed, but I'm curious, and and Ella, you know, feel free to add your thoughts on this as well, but I I wonder too, we were talking about this because we were saying, okay, if you look out in the community, again, you know, Julie DeCaro wrote that piece for Deadspin, Um, Melissa Isaacson has been vocal, Kaylin Kaler, of course, has been vocal, Um, And, and, you know, as a cheerleader, as a Northwestern cheerleader, her perspective, you know, is is particularly an important one. Um, But I think there's a feeling that there are a lot of high profile Northwestern journalists and high profile Northwestern female journalists. And I mean, journalist Michael Wilbon is was on the search committee Um, and we've not heard anything from Michael Wilbon, for example, but um, there there's this idea of. That journalistic decision, I suppose, uh, that's a professional decision that's saying, at what point do I say what I believe in um, relative to the relationships that I depend on to do my job, et cetera. And I guess I'm curious, I mean, this is a situation where um, this is a, a lawsuit that, you know. The, the, you know, talking about the cheerleading lawsuits in, in part- lawsuit in particular, um, you know, an environment that was where where women did not feel heard, um, and you know, as a result, you know, felt you know very damaged as a result. Th- a person who is named prominently in in that story and in that lawsuit is now promoted to the athletic director. Um, I- I'm curious as a female journalist, do you believe that that creates problems for you? Um, or that that creates issues that, um, you know, issues, difficulties, um, that, that you'll have to, to deal with going forward or, or, or does it not?
2: I mean, it's a great question. Uh, I think that's something that, especially over the last 24 hours, I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I think, The position that I'm, I think if if this would have happened to me a year ago, I'd probably feel a little differently than I do now. Uh, I think I'm fortunate that I am kind of, as much as I, yes, will be here for the next year and will kind of face the repercussions of whatever happens, I, you know, I'm not as involved and I am not as, I guess, for lack of a better word, dependent on the athletic department for me to, you know, practice journalism and, and do what I love to do because, you know, I've kind of separated myself from my role but you know I till the day I die will be involved and feel tied to this athletic department I mean this this school has is such an important part of my life and I think all of us and all the people who have spoken out have spoken out because of that and because like we want to see this school succeed and it's not that we don't think that it will I think that there's still you know I I, I'm not going to sit here and say that this athletic department is going to crumble because I don't think that's true and I don't know what's going to come of it. But I think, you know, it's it's just frustrating because it feels like every couple of months we have this same discussion over again of, you know women in sports, their position, how they've been treated, women in journalism, women in sports journalism. And it just kind of seems to keep coming up. And, you know, I'm sure Ella, I know Ella feels similarly. And both of us kind of being where we are about to break into this industry, it's just frustrating when it keeps being brought up, especially at a place like Northwestern, where, quite honestly, I have felt nothing but support over the past three years and the athletic department especially has always been supportive of my work and allowed us to have these great opportunities and I genuinely hope that that doesn't change for the people who come after us but I I don't know what's going to come of it I wish I did and unfortunately I don't yeah
3: I would just echo a lot of what Leah said right there um you know I think the two of us are in a position now where you know if this happened two years ago it might have been a different story, and you know, but at the end of the day, even if it did happen two years ago, you know, we and this is something you know, we're both the co presidents of the, the Association for Women in Sports Media chapter here at Northwestern, and you know, we talk about it a lot. You know, we, as much as we are, you know, completely object like trying to be, you know, completely un- objective, unbiased journalists in the traditional sense, you know, we're. Students at this university where women at this university, you know, we bring all these different things to the table more than just being, you know, a a journalist trying to process this as strictly news. You know, we we've been here for four years and we think of this, you know, this isn't just a place that we cover or an athletic department that we we cover like that's and that's like the fascinating and complex and tricky part of being a student journalist, no matter what kind of situation you're handling is and is because, you know, this, you are so tied to, like, what you're covering, and I don't know if we'll ever, like, experience something like that again, and I think it's it makes a situation like this tricky, but it's also, you know, like you said, it's hard to, to find those things mutually excu- exclusive because we have the experience of being student journalists at this moment in time has been so unique and interesting, but it also, you know, makes situations like this 10 times more complex than if we were just covering this, you know, completely as, you know, professional journalists or something for a, for a professional newspaper. So I think that's been something tricky to bridge, you know, not just in this situation, but in all of our years here. And, um, i'm grateful that i have someone like leah who's like doing this at the same time to to kind of work through these these things with and um you know the rest of our community here that's a complex answer but
1: no that that, that's a fantastic answer and and that's exactly why we wanted to have the two of you on tonight uh to bring that perspective that we don't have um you know we're Eric said earlier, we're three 40-year-old white guys, you know, sitting at our computers with our kids asleep in their rooms. Um, And the fact that you had, both of you have just done such a phenomenal job throughout your Northwestern careers. uh, and We appreciate everything that you guys have done. And thank you for, you know, for all the great work and can't wait to see how you are continue to, move forward and, and, and take this ball and run with it. So thank you for that.
3: Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys.
1: Leah, Ella, thank you so much for, for taking the time to jump on with us tonight. Um, amazing conversation, difficult conversation. Uh, but you know, we, we really appreciate having that conversation and hopefully our, our listeners appreciate having that conversation as well, because, It's a conversation that that needs happening. And, you know, like we said, there's so much going on and it's just hard. I, I, even now I'm still having a hard time just really coalescing my words into, into how I feel about everything. If there's a theme from everything we just talked about, it's the importance to
4: listening. It's the, the importance of listening to people, especially different perspectives. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's so much of why we wanted to have Leah and Ella on because, because of who they are, because of their status on campus, because of their, you know, how connected they are, but they, they're living this too. And they're not just living it as Northwestern students. They're living it as women. They're living it as journalists. Um, like what, whether, whether you're happy about Poliski or not, I hope that you listened to that conversation and, and just, and, and just heard the perspectives and what people are concerned about. You don't need to change your opinion. You don't need to, Abandon Northwestern sports. It's not what we're asking. Just listen to the conversation and think about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just inside baseball on our own perspective, I mean, it's like we just had a rip-roaring jolly good time covering the NFL draft live last week. We're already looking ahead to, like, our summer Big Ten previews. And in the middle, this whole thing just kind of landed on us like a weight, And the last couple of days have been pretty, you know— generally depressing to be within the NU community um again whether you agree with the hire or you don't agree with the hire um if you're you know it's created some major friction between multiple sides and a lot of fingers are being pointed across borders right now and it's just a generally rough time And I think we're trying to work through it. And, you know, I'm so happy that two of the best student journalists and really just journalists Northwestern's produced in the past decade were able to come here and and help us work through it. So, again, like Sam said, thanks so much to Lee and Ella. Uh,
1: No easy way to transition, so uh, we'll just do it anyway. Um, The NFL draft did wrap up. Um, Hopefully you had a chance to listen to our four hour and 11 minute marathon Conversation with uh, our friends over at Winning Cures Everything, Gary, Chris, uh, amazing job. That was a ton of fun, and the fact
4: got got real punchy toward the end. (laughs) 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 Yep. Yeah. Happy hour
1: started late. It it sure did. Um, but uh, yeah, Rashawn Slater going to the Chargers, Greg Newsom going to the Browns. You know, we we celebrated that as it happened, but that was not all of the uh, celebration that Northwestern football had. Uh, over the draft weekend. Uh, fifth round, Ernest Brown to the LA Rams. Um, awesome. Awesome. Very, very cool. I don't know if you had a chance uh, to see the clip on, on Twitter of the the phone call that uh, Brown had with uh, Sean McVay and the, and the Rams coaching staff. Uh, uh, the quote-unquote call. Um, apparently, Brown was in a, a weird cell area and hung up on McVay which is just absolutely hilarious. Um, go, go check it out. It's, it's really, really good. Uh, yeah. Thought, thoughts on uh, Ernest Brown to the, to the ramps. It's, it's awesome. Um, and of
0: course, um, again, as long as we're mentioning Northwestern people and I don't want to step on anything, but he's going to be reunited with a former Northwestern teammate, um, Ben Skoranek, who, um, Played last year for Notre Dame, but had his name called. And I just thought that was so cool. I mean, I'm just, I'm pumped that suddenly we have, you know, we have two more Rams. And as we joked, if you're not counting uh, North, like, if you're wondering whether or not to count Ben Skoranek among the Northwestern guys drafted, uh, perhaps you might want to ask Iowa. Because as <laughs> as we recall, uh, Ben Skoranek, uh, I, let, let me tell you, Iowa sure as hell remembers him as a Northwestern wildcat. That's the point. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh,
4: well, Los Angeles, um, already a, North, a destination for Northwestern grads, now becoming a destination for Northwestern football players. Um, the two guys going to the Rams that you just mentioned, Slater joining Joe Gaziano and Justin Jackson with the Chargers. Um, I, you know, I'll be honest, one of the things that's exciting for me that across the, the three guys that were actually drafted, Slater, Newsom, and Brown, is that Virtually, I, I haven't I haven't seen one detraction for this. Like everyone is celebrating those picks as good choices, good picks, important players to add to their teams. Obviously, Brown is a fifth rounder is is getting much less of that than 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 Newsom and Slater. But um, just what an accomplishment for the for these three guys to get their names called for Skoranek as well, um, Slater and Newsom to go in the first round, the first. Time Northwestern has had two players in the first round ever. Um, Both those guys will be prominently featured as uh, likely as starters on their teams
1: uh, come this fall. And it's just, it's, it's, it's spectacular. Uh, And then a number of guys uh, signed as a drafted free agents, Um, Patty Fisher, who really should have been picked. And I, I guess he had a rough pro day. Uh, his, that pro- his, his forty time, I think, has given a lot
4: of people concerns about his his speed and coverage. But we like we've seen it, we've seen him do it, and we know he
1: can. Uh, so he signed with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Panthers obviously still trying to like still trying to fill the whole the shoes of Luke Kuechly, uh, even so much later. But uh, Patty Fisher to the Panthers. Uh, also going to the Panthers. Um, Peyton Ramsey. Uh, so that's exciting, uh, for him to go there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they have Sam Darnold, but, uh, but what else they just they just traded Teddy Bridgewater to, to my Broncos and, um, know, yeah, Will Greer, PJ Walker, Ramsey should have as good a shot as anyone to, to get that backup job for those wondering. If we're going to count both Skaronic
4: and Ramsey as Northwestern players, Hell yeah, we are. Our <laughs> landing in the NFL, yeah, you're damn right. Yeah, well, <laughs> and
0: and of course, real talk, it's an uphill battle for Ramsey, big time. Um, yep. And yep. just because his so much of what he does is untan- is intangibles. But I mean, that's good. That's where, you know, he signed right away. He's into a camp. We know where he's going to be. He's going to be at the Panthers. Um, and yeah, you know, he's going to get his full shot. And remember, this is a guy who was under recruited coming out of high school. So this is this is not new territory for him. He's used to, to balling out when he absolutely had to.
1: And to get a chance to work under uh, Joe Brady. I mean, come on. Right. That, that's awesome. Uh, Blake Gallagher signed with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, congratulations to him. Riley Lease to the Bengals. Scuzz, new jersey in in store. Oh hell yeah! I'm I well I don't have I don't have a Bengals jersey, so um,
4: a a new Bengals jersey would just be a Bengals a jersey. Bengals would be, I, sure. I would I would
0: um, imagine if he wants nineteen, he can get it. I doubt that that's too much of an in demand number, but maybe I could be wrong.
4: Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I, I have in the past made my way to, um, they have, uh, bank practices, um, open to the public and, and, you know, who, who knows what the, what the fall will bring on that, on that front, but they're often, they often do that with the Minnesota Vikings. And I, so I've gone down there for that in the past and, um, uh, yeah, may, maybe there's, maybe there's a Riley Lee's jersey in my future and
1: and maybe i would be lucky enough to get him to sign it i don't know we'll have to see a couple guys following lindsey pulliam to atlanta jr pace and john rain both signing with the falcons yeah for pace he's going home i mean which is awesome i mean that's
0: that's great that you have someone who who comes from georgia and then goes back to georgia as a pro i mean it's exactly how you know he would write the story absolutely and you know jr was one of those guys who I think we all felt was kind of underrated through the whole postseason process and the whole draft process and everything. And and I think just because other guys in the secondary had such monster years, I mean, he, he's, he is, you know, he's the Sky Team, you know, one of the Sky Team leaders. And um, he's someone I would not be surprised to see stick with a team.
1: A little bit tougher situation for John Rain after uh, the Falcons did draft uh, Kyle Pitts with the number four pick overall, um, You know, tight they end. They don't play the same position. No. <laughs> <laughs> although uh, although I do
4: remember at one point in the fall saying that I couldn't tell, like when John Rain and Riley Lees were on the field, I couldn't
1: tell which was which, so maybe I should retract that comment. <laughs> And uh, finally, Gunnar Vogel uh, signed with the Bears. So he gets to stay in the Chicago area. So uh, we, we wondered openly um, on
4: both our, our podcast with Kalen Kaler and then on on um, in our conversation with Tim Chapman if if Vogel was, was in the mix. We just we hadn't heard his name much. We weren't sure if he had signed with an agent. Unlike most of those other guys, he didn't perfectly announce that he was, you know, leaving Northwestern to go to the NFL. Uh, but that's awesome. Um, and I really hope, I really hope Gunner is able to, uh, to win a spot on the, on the Bears roster, whether that's practice, practice squad or active. I just I, like, we, we've watched that dude, like get thrown into the fire as a freshman and, you know, struggle with it and build his way back up. And, um, would just, would love to see him to be able to continue his career.
0: Absolutely. I think he's, he's someone that, again, we beat this point to death, but you know, Blake Hance suddenly popped up in the NFL playoffs out of the blue to everyone's shock and amazement. And um, Vogel is, is a massive, strong dude with a lot of starts under his belt. And is exactly the kind of guy who has the size to to find a reserve role and stick and just be in and around the league
1: for a while. Uh, nothing yet. Um, I haven't heard any any new updates, but uh, Ramal Chakyo Bowman has not been signed. Uh, last I checked, um, you guys heard anything uh, about RCB since since the draft? No, it's
4: unfortunate. It's such a good year.
0: And um, he, yeah, and we'll see. I mean, I think he's obviously there's so many wide outs and so much to get sorted out. I expect that, that we'll get him into a camp. And if not, he's one of those guys where I'm just like, I, you know, so if, if it ends up being, if it's not the NFL for him and it's the CFL or something like that, it's like the minute that guy gets on a field somewhere, he's going to show out. So I'm just kind of waiting to be like, where is that going to be? Because he's the kind of guy that, you know, go ahead, count him out. But the minute he's out on the field, he's going to be great.
1: So, yeah, um, ex- exciting roundup, Um, you know, a bunch more cats in the NFL. So uh, we'll see that uh, montage that they put out. At- uh, on the stadium, uh, at Ryan field, every, every game, uh, let that one get even longer. So, um, very, very exciting times. Uh, anything else to, to talk about before we get out of here? It's been kind of a heavy episode tonight.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I, obviously it has been a bit of a, of an, hev- of a heavy, heavy episode. And then, I, you know, we, again, please listen to the conversation. Um, at, if you're at this point in the pod, you already have, but, but if you're, if you're thinking about it or reacting to it in a certain way, I, you know, I, I think all we ask is, 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 you just consider what, what you heard. Um, and, 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 and download the show again, listen to it again, help our numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> um, and then secondly, you know, it was, it was a bit of a weird transition, but it, we, we really wanted to celebrate the success of, of the guys who, you know, we've, we've all followed so closely during their, their careers, uh, with Northwestern football. And, um, you know, I said this during the conversation with Leah and Ella, but like whatever you feel about the guy leading Northwestern athlete at Northwestern's athletic department or the university or the history department or the coach of the basketball team, whatever it is like that doesn't take anything away from the accomplishments of a Greg Newsom or a Veronica Burton. And I just like continue supporting these athletes and, you know, enjoying their stories and their arcs and, 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 you know, tether yourself to that if, if, um, if it brings you joy, because it's worthwhile.
0: Absolutely. Um, speaking of some of that, right, um, you know, looking at women's sports, of course, lacrosse, their unbelievable run, right? Um, Big Ten regular season championship, Big Ten tournament championship. And now in 10 days, they head to the NCAAs. And I think the first two rounds, knock wood, they'll be hosting games each of those rounds. Which you could expect they will be, given the quality of this team. Um, This is a team. It would be be a shock. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely shock. Given
4: that they are undefeated. Yeah, they're number two in the country. Number two in the country. Yeah, Yeah. they're yeah. If they didn't get one of the one of the four top seeds, it would be a a disgrace, frankly.
0: Exactly. So yeah, they're headed. um, You know, betting markets would have them in the finals. So they're they're headed for big things. And then softball little bit of a rough stretch right now right but uh they've they've got I mean they're t- still 24 and 12 on the season they've got a series with purdue a series with Nebraska um, and then come the tourneys so um the big things coming down the pipe for you know for the women's spring sports that we talked about that are that are so amazing and so special and as Leonella said I mean this is are as good of a woman's sports institution as there is in the country,
1: and it's bearing out right now. And um, now come the the stretch run for all of them. Well, let, let's also not forget to shout out field hockey. Uh, f- getting to the elite eight in the uh, NCAA tournament, um, couldn't couldn't beat Iowa a third time. Uh, you know, dropped uh, dropped the game three to one, but you know, finishing in in the National quarterfinals. The huge achievement uh, for for the field hockey team. Um, so, mad, mad props to them. Uh, and with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates. And you can always email the show, Pirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west of field Field flying the red pirate flag. Because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.